Welcome to the Pokes Report podcast. The first one of the new year. Uh, first one, really, in a long time. Kind of had a lot going on. Uh, but Zach Lancaster here alongside Marshall Levinson. What is up, Marshall? Uh, nothing much. Just chilling, uh, chilling at home. It's cold and rainy out, so I'm not going anywhere. It's nice, though, isn't it? It's nice for doing podcasts like this, looking <laughs> out the window. It's kind of, it's like soothing, it's relaxing, so, yeah. but it's only soothing and relaxing when I'm inside. Yeah, that's true. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's because I'm a little bigger, um, but I've, I, or if I'm a ginger and so like the sun, <laughs> the sun hates me more than, more than anything. Um, but I, I kind of enjoy cold, overcast, rainy weather. You know, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's not, it's not bad. I like I love I love the rain. I love like sitting by a window and like working on my computer and like listening to the rain. Um, and I like driving through the rain. But yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not a huge uh, cold. Weather I will guy. say though, last uh, like yesterday, like I I really enjoy. I don't know what it's been like in Texas, but I I really enjoy. Like yesterday was 65 in Stillwater, and sunny yeah. and a slight breeze, and it like it kind of breaks up the monotony. So I I could live with anywhere between 40 and 70 degree weather all year long with majority of it <laughs> towards the 40. That's just me though. I don't know what, but uh, I'm, I'm more of a, more of a 70 degree kind of guy. No, and that's fair. You know, I really enjoy 60 to 70, you know, you, you light jacket, if that, you know, maybe a hoodie, um, but I, I enjoy it. It's, it's whatever. I also enjoy a really, really cold day. You know, it's, I, I enjoy a good teen weather day. Stay, oh, st- stay That's in, funny. have some soup, you know, some good soup. I, that is where you and I differ. <laughs> well, you you've born and raised in Louisiana and Texas. Yeah, so. I'm from Louisiana. We don't, there is no cold. Yeah. There. So now this is uh, like, like I said, this is the first uh, Pokes Report podcast of uh, 2021. Had some, some rather interesting news come down the last, uh, last couple of days, especially today. Um, although it wasn't very uh, surprising to Pokes Report. Uh, I'll just start with that right now. Uh, we have a question on Twitter. Will this uh, will it be on the website or on other platforms? Uh, yes. That, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, this will be available in an article on pokesreport.com, uh, and we'll also be putting this out over uh, over various platforms. Uh, Marshall, what uh, you're you're the the platform guy. What are, what are these going to be on? It'll be on uh, podbean.com, and then we are also able to publish on. Uh, iTunes and or Apple Podcasts. They're the same thing. So they will be available on both of those, and I'm actually replying to that gentleman on Twitter right now. That's because we're big time, folks. We're big time. Now, the news that came across today uh, came across in the middle of my uh, radio show on Triple Play Sports Radio. Uh, there's actually a link to listen to that on our website, pokesreport.com. Uh, but Josh Sills confirmed what Pokes Report had reported a week and a half ago that Josh Sills will be back in Stillwater, which is huge. That's a that's a huge get for Charlie Dickey. That's that's almost kind of like a, a a Mike Boynton getting his team back. Different different scenarios, obviously. Oklahoma State's not facing a postseason ban in football, um, but we didn't know. We still don't know about a lot of other players. But as as we know, the NCAA is granting uh, uh, all the players and like a free year, an extra year. Seniors can come back and be super seniors. Uh, we we're, we don't really know how all of that's going to play out yet. We don't know how the scholarship numbers are going to work just yet or uh, how, how it's going to possibly affect recruiting. Um, but we do know that some guys have decided to come back, and Josh Sills is one of them. Um, that's, a, that's a huge get for Charlie Dickey. Josh, um, AP All-Big 12 this year, that's uh, a really talented guy, really strong, uh, 6'6", 325, definitely – a verse, uh, definitely a versatile player. Played him all over the line this year. I know that that wasn't what he wanted or what anyone else wanted. Uh, main position, left guard, but then they shifted him over to left tackle a little bit. Uh, right tackle for three games. Uh, not not great, but definitely uh, definitely came in in the clutch. Definitely a vocal leader, as we learned uh, on our time on the Big Twelve or on uh, Big Twelve Now, ESPN Plus, whatever the uh, Oklahoma State documentary that ESPN did multiple halftime speeches that, that made me ru- want to run through a wall on a Thursday morning when that was released. So, uh, Marshall, thoughts? I, I knew we, we reported it, that he was coming back um, uh, last week, I, th- I believe is when that was, week, week and a half ago. But what, what are your thoughts on uh, on Josh coming back? Uh, well, one, I just want to make sure you can still hear me, right? 
It's a little quiet. It sounds like you might be across the room. <laughs> I think I was right, ladies and gentlemen. All right, how about now? How about hey, now? there we are. Right. There we are. So All thoughts right. on uh, thoughts on Josh Sills coming a, back? Had a bit of a malfunction there. Um, no, it's huge, like you said. Um, that's easily the most important lineman returning. Um, obviously, you lose Tevin Jenkins, so that's a lot of experience and um, and, and talent from your line, and then. You lose Rice Schneider, and he, he was a fifth-year guy, so that's a lot of experience on your line. And a guy like Josh Sills, who is probably going to be the best offensive lineman you have next year. He's on the fence. Is he staying? Is he going? Playing some games on Twitter, letting people think different things at different times. Um, but, no, that lets Charlie Dickey have a foundation to his offensive line um, moving into next year um, outside of – younger guys that had to get experience. So not only do you have the talent aspect that he brings, um, but the, the leadership, not only um, kind of leadership by age, but the vocal leadership. And he's kind of the, he's the face of that room now. Um, and he kind of took on that role as the middle of the year and as the year started to go on. Um, so that's, that's big time for them. Mm-hmm. And um, especially with so many younger guys, um, in the room and that's going to have to be playing. He is a, um, almost a, a, what, what's the term I'm thinking of, uh, in, invaluable to, yeah. to what you're going to be trying to do. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I'll tell you something that is something that makes Josh Sills coming back that much more, uh, exciting. If you will, uh, we got a, we got a question, uh, Brian Murphy, he had asked, he said, I'm usually getting, I'm getting unusually giddy about the prospects of the offensive line. Am I crazy? Um, that to answer that question, yes, uh, you are, but not because of the offensive line. I, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say that this is going to be one of the best offensive lines that Oklahoma State has ever had. However, this offensive line has the prospects of being a really good offensive line in in 2021. And and something that's gonna something that makes Josh Sills' news about coming back all that much more better. Uh, you go back when we first reported that Sills was coming back. You go back to the twenty first, which I didn't realize was that long ago, uh, December twenty first, uh, when Oklahoma State landed Danny Godlewski from Miami of Ohio, six uh, three, three hundred pound offensive lineman. He's a center. Had uh, forty appearances. I started thirty seven of 40 appearances uh, for Miami of Ohio, all at center. Um, he is really, really strong. This this guy is watch, – watch his tape. I get that he's in the MAC. I get that they don't play a lot of – I get that they don't play a lot of – a lot of strong opponents, a lot of great opponents in the MAC. Um, but this kid grew up in Indianapolis, grew up watching Jeff Saturday for the Colts. He is really, really good. His technique is really good. He has the, he has the potential – of being an NFL center. So you add him to the you add him into the mix, you lose Rice Schneider, but you add a potentially NFL center into the mix. And then you've got Hunter Anthony, you've got Hunter Woodard, you've got uh you got Eli Russ who came in with a with a division one ready body. That doesn't happen with offensive linemen. That doesn't happen much at any position, let alone offensive line. So he's had a year under under Charlie Dickey and a year under Rob Glass. He's going to be really talented uh, throughout his time at Oklahoma State. You've got Josh Sills back, Danny Godlewski. I mean, this, yeah, this offensive line has the potential to be really good next year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and Casey Dunn talked about it right after the um, mm-hmm. was it the bowl game or the Baylor game? I I want to say it was the Baylor game leading into the Baylor bowl game. game. I want to say it was the Baylor game, um, and there was he was talking about the running backs and how they're going to have Desmond Jackson and Dominic Richardson, possibly LD Brown back. Um, but he said that as as strong as that position group is, he said he thinks that the biggest strength of the offense next year is going to be the offensive line, mm-hmm. and that was when it was still really unsure if Josh Hills was going to be coming back. But I think he was he was under the impression that he was or was hoping that he was going to. And then you have, uh, like, all those guys you named, and you have guys like Caleb Etienne coming in yes. from 
from the JUCO ranks. Yeah, I saw that video you shared on Twitter. His footwork. Yeah, six foot, about six foot nine, between three hundred and twenty and three hundred and forty pounds is where he's probably going to be playing at. Um, and he's extremely, extremely quick with his feet. Um, and he'll probably be a day one starter at one of those tackle positions. Um, so you cannot go wrong with a six nine, three hundred and thirty pound offensive lineman on on any day. No, and that's um, you know, and you just you hit on that him him starting to tackle. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that the loss of Tevin Jenkins is going to be huge. There, right. There's no doubt that, that losing Tevin Jenkins is going to suck. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be fun because um, that guy is going to make millions and millions and millions of dollars in the NFL. He, he is an NFL offensive lineman, and those don't come from Oklahoma State very often that, to make that much money. Um, and so – that that in itself is is not going to be good. I, I'm going to just throw that out there right now. However, the replacements should have a shot. Yeah. So I mean, um, as far as like Caleb Etienne goes, the way it was described to me from people who were connected within the program and and especially the offensive line was that they view him as a bigger Tevin Jenkins, which when you like you just said, when you think about Tevin Jenkins, who's about to be go making millions of dollars, and then you put something bigger in that spot, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to go two years without allowing a sack like Tevin Jenkins Jeez, did. That's insane. But I think it was like 700 snaps. The last time Tevin allowed a sack was in 2018. I'm not saying that that's what he's going to do, but the fact that they're saying that both of them, their biggest strength is their is their footwork they have very light feet they have ballerina feet they call them and tevin jenkins is about six foot six six foot seven this guy's two to three inches taller weighs a little bit more and has the same athleticism you have a very very good combination there and then you have danny godlevsky a nfl prospect center and then you have um, josh sills who's going to be an nfl prospect guard and then you have the young the younger guys um who got an insane amount of experience this year now it, it, throughout the entire year, one of the main things we're talking about is how mixed match the offensive line was week in and week out. Mm-hmm. But moving forward, that will pay off heavily because those guys got got work, and not only did they get work, they got work at multiple positions. Yeah. So those guys have experience now. They've been kind of thrown into the fire, so to speak. Um, and so, no, you're not crazy at all to think that this is going to be a very, very good unit. And the only thing is, is just like you saw with this year, they have to stay healthy. Well, and I, th- I think what's going to help with that is is Oak. We learned pretty quick um, that Oklahoma State did just about as good a job as anybody in the country keeping their players safe, keeping their players keeping their players healthy and and testing negative when it comes to COVID nineteen. And so you saw what the offensive line did with no spring, maybe a week, week and a half of spring. And yes. no, no real summer. Now they can't get together, and and have actual practices and, and team led workouts. But you got individual workouts. You got individual practices led by the led by teammates, led by players. And so this spring, I think, is going to be huge because you're going to give you're going to give this offensive line uh, an entire two month off season with Rob Glass to get him in the weight yep. room. You're going to give him an entire spring football. That's going to be huge. You're going to give these young guys another, you know, six to seven months of being with Charlie Dickey and being with Rob Glass and 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 really trying to figure out how this level works and the physicality. And that's that's just going to be huge, you know. And I, I think that that right there is going to be, you know, you talk about Casey Dunn saying the the offensive line is is going to be one of the biggest parts of the offense this year. I think it has to be because. If this offensive line, we saw they weren't the best offensive line this year, but they were piecemealed, you know, and in the final three to yeah. four games of the year, they played pretty solid. They, you know, they, they played pretty well. The sacks that were given up weren't really given up by the offensive line. They were, yeah. they were pocket issues, you know, staying too long or, or clock issues with Spencer Sanders or, you know, getting flushed and trying to run out. So they weren't necessarily offensive line sacks. And so you give, you give Shane Illingworth, and Spencer Sanders a full off season with Rob Glass and a full spring, 
you give Dominic Richardson and Des Jackson, you know, you get and and we don't we haven't heard about LD yet. I'd probably lean if it were, if it were me. This isn't me working for Robert and having inside knowledge, but if it were me, I don't really know if LD's coming back. Um, but you look at the you look at the the running backs that they have. You give them an extra spring. This offensive line is going to be the main catalyst of how success and and that's with every offense. But but this year, this offensive line is going to be the main catalyst. Just how successful Oklahoma State can be on the offensive side next year. Yeah, and I think that um, I think you'll see that pay off in the other positions as well. I think yeah. it'll pay off for for um, the quarterback position with whether it's Spencer or Shane or however they're going to do that. I think it'll work with the running backs because you're going to have the at least the two-headed monster of. Des and Dom, like you said, could be LD thrown in there, and I mean, either way, that room that room is going to be stacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, you have obviously a very good receiving core coming in, so they all, the entire offense looks to be set up for a very promising 2021. Um, but the biggest thing is, you got to stay healthy, and you just got to kind of go out there and do it. You got to show it. Um, everyone knows what you can do. Now you just got to go do it yourself. Yeah, you know, you you hit on hit on receivers. It it's never easy. It's it's kind of a Tevin Jenkins type thing. It's never easy to lose a guy like Tylen Wallace. You know, it's it the next year when 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 you lose a James Washington, that next season you're not going to replace a Belinikoff performance. Yeah. Tylen Wallace, you're not. You know, that next year chances are you're not going to replace with one guy what Tylen Wallace was able to do. But I would have to think that Casey Dunn is really excited about what he has coming back. Now obviously, you know, you got you got Tay Martin who really shined there in the bowl game and someone else that uh that really shined, Brennan Presley, true freshman. I get yep. that he's I get that he's only 5'7, five, 5'8. Five, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now I, I will say that did he have that good of a performance because Miami had no tape on him? Probably. I'm sure that plays into it, but if if you have any kind of sense at all, you would have already have watched his uh, his his high school tape from Bigsby, and he did that against anybody and everybody. It didn't matter. So those those two guys really really good. Um, if you can keep Langston Anderson healthy, if you can yep. if you can get him healthy, I mean he has an incredible frame. He has the speed, the physicality to do it. He could be really good. Uh, Jonathan Jonathan Shepard, kind of that same same issue there with with injuries, uh, but he has good size. He's he's incredibly fast. Um, still a redshirt sophomore, so that's good. Um, I, I know someone that you were really really high on uh, him coming out of high school, and I know Casey Dunn is really really high on him. Someone that no one knew anything about, Rashad Owens. That yeah, that. Like that cat is he has the potential of being one of the best athletes one of the best players performers on the team position position doesn't matter he, he just overall um someone that someone that I was I was pretty high on when he was coming out I know that a lot of people were really excited about him Matt Polk uh yep. he he has a chance he started out injured uh, he started out 2020 injured but um the, him him working out on on scout team I I've heard that he did really well in the in the fall uh kind of making some defenders look silly and we knew what that defense did we we saw what the corners were able to do especially with Darius Williams so uh it, looking forward to seeing what uh, what Matt Polk can do um you've got two freshmen coming in and I'll let you talk about these guys and and get back to to Rashad Owens as well but you got two twins coming in out of um out of Allen, Texas, that uh, I just say it, they are probably two of the best receivers in the country. And you've got to see them multiple times. Uh, they're here in the spring. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not waiting around until, until the fall, until, until August or June or July or whenever it is to get here. They're here. And they're, that's, that's huge uh, when, when we saw what these guys can do. You give, them a, you give them an off season with Rob Glass. You give them a you give them a full spring with Casey Dunn and a full summer of workouts. I'm not saying that these guys are going to start in the fall, but I think yeah. you'll see them some in the fall. Yeah, I mean, it's the way I was talking about it with Robert yesterday, and obviously he talks to a lot of the guys in there, and I've talked to the lot. I've talked to the twins mm-hmm. dozens of times. I've been in front of them half that probably, 
Um, they are being described as open the box and are already assembled kind of guys. Yeah, we're they not. Have, we didn't get these receivers at IKEA. It, no, these no, these are not the IKEA spend three hours on Christmas morning trying to figure out how to put together a, a desk here mm-hmm. or something. We, this is this is a guys that when you open the package, they are brand new, they're shiny, and they're ready to be used right then. And I mean, Gundy said on signing day that they're gonna put the right now they weigh around two oh five, two oh eight. He said they're gonna play around two fifteen, two twenty. And that's a probably good good bet that they're gonna be around that probably going into their mid sophomore going into junior years. Mm-hmm. Right. So when they're becoming those NFL prospects that I expect they will be. But they're able to play right now at that two oh five hovering between there and two ten weight. They're about six one and a half, and when they put on pads, they look even bigger. And the other receivers that are coming in are no joke either. The true freshmen, they, uh, Jaden Bray and John Paul Richardson. John Paul is another guy that his dad was um, a college football player. was a was a big time um, name at A and M. He understands football from a physical aspect, but a mental aspect as well and he's rooming with Jaden Bray who Jaden Bray is the probably the one of the most talented athletes in the state of Oklahoma but he's extremely raw mm-hmm. so being with Jaden Bray who has the or being with John Paul Richardson who has the mental aspect of it down and understands football and knows how to learn it he will be able to mentor Jaden Bray in a sense even though they're the same age but they will feed off of each other and I'm very excited to see what all of those guys do together. And I think in, in recent years, like you said, Oklahoma State has had – you've had Blackman be your guy. Mm-hmm. You've had Washington be your guy. You had – before you had Thailand, you had um, – who was it that uh, – McCleskey was, was kind of your guy before Thailand took over. And then Thailand was your guy. In those most years, you have one guy, and then you have a couple others that are behind them. Now, Dylan Stoner has been one of the most reliable receivers I've ever known. So this this is a good example. Go back to mm-hmm. 2017 when you had Washington, Aitman, and 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 Chris Lacey. Yep. That you had three receivers that never been done before, three thousand yard receivers, and then yep. you and then you get you had a thousand yard rusher in Justice Hill. So I mean, it you, those those three guys. Th- this is what the future looks like again. You you, yeah, I agree. you bring in these guys and you've got yeah. the guys that are already in the room. You have a potential of having multiple thousand yard receivers and and now are they ready right now? Probably not. You're you're probably not going to see the guys we just talked about have a thousand yards. Uh now Tay Tay Martin, you know, Brennan Presley, the guys that are returning, those are your thousand yard receiver type guys. Those are the guys with that potential right now. But the guys that we that Marshall and I have been talking about, it's going to be exciting because once they get into their prime, you're going to have a you're going to have a Shane Illingworth primed quarterback to throw to them, and that's Spencer, that that should just Spencer, that should charge you up. Spencer Sanders numbers say that Spencer Sanders will be here for another year or two. Yeah, and then it hopefully things click and he becomes an NFL prospect. And he is able to go to the next level. Well, and he's and he's talented. I, I don't want to take away from Spencer, but oh, yeah. Spencer is not the kind of guy who's going to get a receiver seventeen, you know, fifteen to seventeen hundred yards. No, because he's gonna he's gonna eat up some of those yards. Not that that's a bad thing, because he can make plays with speed. Exactly. But because the yards will be picked up, it just may not be through the air. Yeah. Um. But then. When you do have Shane, he's more of the aired out kind of guy, and that's when those receivers are really going to shine. And I'm looking forward to it. So, absolutely. Uh, something else that uh, something else that it uh, that that it hit in the past couple of days, Monday, and it always happens in the most inopportune times. I'm sitting in Gallagher Iba, my uh, my first live sporting event since going to the hospital uh, with COVID in early November. So I'm pretty jazzed about it. I'm sucking air. I'm miserable. Okay, <laughs> that walk, that walk was a killer with a mask on. I was using my bottle of water as an excuse to breathe. But the the news comes across that Jim Knowles had interviewed for the Illinois job, and I saw it on a fan a Facebook fan page. Um, and so I'm like, 
I don't know the I'm not sure about the validity of this. I don't I don't I don't quite know. So I I uh, screenshotted it and I sent I sent it to you and then I I had you call Robert. Come to find yep. out, it's real. Uh, he interviewed with uh, Illinois on Sunday, I believe is when it was. It was first reported by Football Scoop um, that uh, Brett Bielema was looking to looking to add a talented defensive coordinator. Um, I don't think he did a very good job <laughs> with who he hired, uh, but he hired uh, he interviewed with uh, with Jim Knowles on Sunday, which makes sense in the term uh, in the sense of money because yes. this is a lateral job probably two steps down from Oklahoma State. You look at what is returning for Oklahoma State next year on the defensive side, there's a lot of talent. The, this this defense, now you lose Radarius Williams, and that that's that's gonna hurt. Radarius, what was what was the um was that stat that Pro Football Focus put out? It's like two hundred some odd snaps without giving up um without missing a tackle. Is that what that yeah. I think that's what that was that's insane. You know, Radarius uh, there were a lot of people that were kind of kind of curious as to why Rodarius would announce that he was coming back last year. Like, yeah, we knew that. We, yeah. we expected you to come back. Rodarius Williams gained himself two to three rounds oh, with his performance this year. Rodarius is going to make some generational money this year. Um, but with, you know, even with him gone, you look at the defense that com- that's coming back, has the potential – of being a better defense than this year, and they this is one of the best defenses in Oklahoma State history. This is this was this was a the, one of the best defenses in the Big Twelve and one of the best defenses in the country. And so, you look at that, you know, Jim Knowles looking at Illinois and a bit of a head scratcher. You don't really know what's going on. Now I understand that Illinois, you know, they they got some big time donors. You know, they're a big time school. They got a lot of money they could throw around. And and if I'm if I'm looking at it. That's what I feel Jim Knowles is doing. Jim Knowles is thinking, you know what? I got a year left on my contract. This is what I'm making here in Stillwater. You know what? I could probably, I could, I could probably get some some pretty good money. Made eight hundred thousand dollars this year. I with what I did at Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve. I I deserve money, and so whether it's, I I feel that it's it's a ploy to get more money here and not necessarily get more money somewhere else. It, it, unless it were, like, for me, the only, the only logical move for Knowles, if he were to leave, would be to a, a, a powerful program. He, he's not going to leave Oklahoma State laterally for Illinois. You know, and now, and, and, no, we, and we found out today that, that Bielema hired uh, Walters, hired Walters from, uh, from Missouri, Ryan Walters. Uh, he was making... <laughs> He's making nine hundred thousand uh, dollars at Missouri, and he's probably going to make a little over a million when he when he goes to Illinois. Not sure there, but yeah. you don't you don't leave the SEC for Illinois if you're not gonna if you're not gonna get a pay raise. Uh, and so, I would I would have to think that that Jim Knowles is looking at this, thinking, you know what? I if I if I look around, if I shop around, if I uh, <laughs> if I pull a Mike Gundy here, I could probably score some more money. And that's a joke. I don't. I don't think Mike Gundy talked to Tennessee to get more money here, but it worked. It worked. It, it's oh, pro- absolutely. It is proven I mean, to work. I mean, and, and you wrote this I mean, article, and I'll I'll let you I'll let you talk about it because you yeah. we we talked about it, and you came out with an article yesterday. I don't think Knowles is if Knowles leaves. I don't think Knowles is interviewing because he is unhappy at Oklahoma State. I I don't buy, um, I don't buy the whole uh, Mike Holder forcing you know or asking coaches to take pay cuts because of COVID. I, I don't yeah. I don't think that that plays into his decision to want to look somewhere else. Um, but it, but I, I don't think he's interviewing with other schools because he's unhappy with Oklahoma State because you just look at his track. You look at Mike Gunny's track record of keeping assistants, you know, and coordinators. Offensive coordinators leave because of the numbers they put up, and they get rid of defensive coordinators because of the numbers they put up. Jim Knowles yeah. has put up insane numbers. I, I just I don't understand why Jim Knowles doesn't have a blank check in front of him from Mike Holder. I agree, and I mean, and you kind of you basically hit everything on the head right there. I, there's no way in my mind that, or in my mind, there's no way that he actually wants to leave Oklahoma State or that he's looking for no. somewhere to go. No, nothing and shows you, that he's unhappy. Exactly, and you were referring to the article that I wrote, which, in like you said, the offensive coordinators. Every time they have left under the Gundy era, 
every single time it has been because they were hired by somewhere somewhere else to become a head coach or they made a lateral move but received a pay raise. Yeah, like uh, right? like Sean so Gleason going to Rutgers. Sean Gleason going to Rutgers where he became the highest paid assistant in school history. Yeah. He's making like 900k and he was making I think 600 here. Yeah. Or 650 whatever the number was. So I think it was less often, than 7 for sure. Yeah. It, I call that career progression. You're either moving up in in position or you're making more money. And then for defense under Gundy, everyone who has left has had most of them have been fired or and or not retained, right? So mm-hmm. basically, they don't want you anymore because of lack of production. Yeah. So now that they do have the best defensive coordinator and the best defense that they've had under Gundy, as far as coordinator wise, and technically he's on a bargain, there's no way that he's. If you look at history. Nothing nothing points to someone not wanting to work for Gundy, especially with the talent that they have coming back. Right. So I agree. I think it's a I think it's a, a thing of saying, Hey guys, I feel like I've done really good here. I feel like I'm worthy of something, but I'm gonna do what's best for me business wise, but I hope it's here. Yeah. You know, and so I, I think you know, and it's not like it's not like retaining Jim Knowles would be the best move overall. For Oklahoma State, right? I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not crazy enough to think that Jim Knowles is the best defensive coach in the mm-hmm. country, you know. And, I, and I've said this about Gundy. There were, you know, earlier in the year or going back during the summer, there were people that were like, "Well, we, you know, Gundy, I think he's gone just about as far as he can go at Oklahoma State." Um, and whether that's true or not, I'm I I think that Mike Gundy is one of the best coaches in the country. You look at what he does consistently. You look at what he does year in and year out. You look at what he has done for a program that historically has been in the pooper. They've been there've been some some pockets of success throughout history of Oklahoma State football, but in the long run, they're really it, it's so few and far between that that you know it, it's really nothing to write home about. So you look at what Mike Gundy has done. And Mike Gundy is the best coach for Oklahoma State right now. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that when Mike Gundy, whether it's university decision or whether it's Mike Gundy deciding to retire, that doesn't mean that there isn't a better coach that Oklahoma State can go out and get. And that's how that's that's how I look at Jim Knowles. I think Jim Knowles is a hell of a coach. With what he has done at Oklahoma State, he took a defense you know, it was it was like trying to retain water in a bucket that has a hole in the bottom of it. So I actually have the numbers right here in front of you. Perfect. I'm going to send out a tweet in a little while. 2018, when he took over, their defense allowed 32.5 points and four, 452 yards a game. That's not great. So thirty, basically 33 points and 450 yards. 2019, it, was, it went from 33 points to 27 points. Mm-hmm. So one less touchdown a game. Yeah, basically, and it went from 450 yards to 412. Okay, and that's a big difference. That's an average. And, and, that's that's and, not and, just yeah. looking at it. No, that's and that's a big number. And this year, so originally when he took over, they're at 33 points. This year, he was at 23 points mm. allowed, and they went from 450 yards in the first year to now 380. And what's significant about that is he did it with a defense that historically is not good. He did it. With players, mo- a majority of the players are were not his. He didn't recruit them for his scheme. He fit these players to his scheme. He molded exactly. these players to his scheme. None of the, very and he did it in the Big players, Twelve. Yeah, very few of these players he actually recruited or really knew anything about as far as talent wise when he showed up. Yeah, and then and so then he, for and then that next year, like his first recruiting class, I wouldn't even really call it a true recruiting class because. You need at least two years to really figure out what type of player well, you want. Absolutely. So this I mean, this recruiting class that he signed, and especially, th- these are and his another players. Thing, another thing that goes into the recruiting aspect, and I actually have a great question that I, that um, DJ texted me a little while ago that mm-hmm. goes with this, and I'll bring it up in just a second. It's not only just recruiting the guys that you think would fit your defense. It's... Because you can recruit as many people as you want. Absolutely. Convincing them to commit and show up is a completely other thing. Because 
what what a tough task Jim Knowles had was because he runs a, a in relative terms, an odd defense. Yes. He runs a four two five, which is not your typical normally you normally you hear three four, four three. Well he was like, I'm gonna run a four two five, which is why but but it confuses people and when you're talking to recruits, they may be like, Well, what is that what what do you do in that defense or so and so? But a big thing in recruiting is showing players what they will be doing. And if in the, that means your defense has to be working. Your defense has to be putting up numbers for recruits to go say, okay, yeah, I want to play in that defense, which is extremely tough trying to make a defense work when it's not guys that you recruited to play that defense. Which I, I will say, I'll give, uh, I'll, I'll give Glenn Spencer some, some kudos. I, I, really liked, uh, I really liked Glenn Spencer. I liked covering him. He was a great guy. Um, yes. it was, it was a lot of fun. He had some, he had some good talent on those defenses. You look at Trey flowers, he's a starting NFL corner. Um, so he, he had some talent on that defense. He brought these guys in. He, he brought in Colby Harvell Peel. You know, he brought in Trey yeah. Sterling. He, he brought these guys in and, and that, that's a testament to the recruiting that Oklahoma state does is you can have a completely different coordinator with a wildly different scheme and he can take these players and mesh them into his, into what he needs. Uh, that's that's incredible. Yeah, and, and I'll go ahead and put that question out there right now. Uh huh. It says, "Do you think is?" And this goes with the defensive recruiting. It says, "Do you think is got? Do you think? Or, shoot, sorry, can't speak here. Do you got? Do you guys think as talented as this class was that it could become the new norm with the way they have changed how they recruit specific types of defenders and have started moving towards a almost positionless." type of recruiting especially on defense yeah I don't even think you need to I don't even think you need to use this class I I think they've been doing I think they've been doing it and I think with and especially and I'll just give some context and then I'll kind of back up a few recruiting classes to show that they've been kind of doing this um with the and because what he means more the positionless guys kind of fit with the defensive backs Mm -hmm. because a lot of times schools will recruit heavy corners to play corner they'll recruit players who played heavy safety to play safety they'll recruit wide receivers to play wide receiver running backs to play running back so and so jim Knowles and mike gundy as far as defensive backs go in most of their positions they don't really care what you played in high school Mm-mm. they look at intangibles and measurables and they say okay this guy he may play wide receiver 75 percent of the time for his high school but we have a bunch of wide receivers but he's six one, can run a four four five, and can do a three sixty dunk. This guy's got some athleticism. He's got ball skills. He can run with people. Let's try to make him a corner. Well, I think I think Malcolm is the perfect example. Oh, absolutely. Malcolm is sa- a safety and quarterback at Wagner, and yep. now he's one of the best linebackers in the Big Twelve. Yeah, he comes in, he plays safety his true freshman year, and then he moves to linebacker because his body can take it. Yep. He has that that skill set to go with it. And then you see guys like Jarek Bernard, who played the safety position, and now he plays corner. And then you see guys like um, Tanner McAllister, who when he can play farther down towards the line, or when we saw Trey Sterling get hurt or have to miss a couple games, Colby moved over to Trey's spot, Tanner moved over to Colby's spot. And there's really no – I say there's no drop-off, but – Yes, there's drop off in, in certain numbers, but there's really no drop off in, in fit or right. nervousness of oh can this guy play this position. But I think that yes, that will be the I don't necessarily know if it's a new norm as far as the last couple of years, but yes, that that will be, definitely be a Oklahoma State um what's the word? An Oklahoma State um uh shoot, help me out with the like, word like their um, recruiting mantra. Yeah, their mantra that that's their that's what they live by is versatility, and and yes, in a way, positionless recruiting. Yeah, and I but, get it. I think you're right. You know, and I I mentioned it. I but I think that I think this has been going on. I, I think we saw this a little bit with Glenn Spencer. Um, Gundy has talked about when he when it comes to corners, he wants the six one and and up. You know, he wants yeah. those bigger corners because you look at receiver. You know the the Green Twins. You're looking at six two six three. You know, Tylen Wallace is six foot six one, but there's not much a corner can do to guard him. But you know, Tay Martin. You know, Tay Martin has size. Oklahoma State wants to recruit those bigger uh, those bigger corners because you see other schools recruiting big receivers. 
So you yep. want those big, fast, physical corners to go up against it, and, and you're not necessarily going to recruit high school corners because high school corners aren't 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", that are going to come to Oklahoma State. So they're going to go out, and they're going to get incredibly talented safeties. They're going to go out and get incredibly talented receivers that play both ways that are 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", and they're going to say, you know what, you're a, you're a pretty good receiver, but because you're such a good receiver, you know what they're going to do. you got size. you got physicality. I think we're going to move you to the defensive side of the ball. I think you're going to play corner for us a little bit. You know, so that's, yeah, I, I think so. I think you're going to see that from Oklahoma State. Um, we got uh, we got a, we got another question here, uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna shift. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left. We're gonna shift to basketball after this. Uh, guesses on any other seniors choosing to use an extra year of eligibility besides Tay Martin. Um, I I don't know if you're gonna see. LD Brown back. I know we talked about that a little bit. Um, LD is is you know he's he's going to school for for media for broadcasting, and I I, I think he could make some good money as as a yeah broadcaster. I do too. I do too. Especially well, I'll I'll say this about his athletic ability first. He showed flashes, and I think because he's a running back, and their shelf life is already as short as it is. Yeah. In the in the NFL. If and this is just my opinion, I don't know what people are telling him or what the the expert. I'm no expert in this. I'm just saying what I think, what I've seen or heard in the past, especially with running backs. I think if he wants to play in the NFL or wants to play professional, it would do him more good to go. Than well, yeah, he, because he's already because he a redshirt senior. Year. If he stays another year, then he would have played six years in yeah, college. Yeah, that'd be his sixth year because he's a redshirt senior. So he would be 24 years old probably at, at least. And, yeah, and so – Or at most, rather, excuse me. Most running backs outside of your your blue-chip Heisman finalist type of running backs that your Derrick Henrys, your Mark Ingrams that are, that are still going strong and all these Christian McCaffrey types or whatever, and even he's battled with injuries this entire season. Most running backs don't go to the league no. for very long. No, especially not at, at 23, 24 – uh, and have and have long pro prolonged success. Um, I'm I'm kind of fifty. I'm fifty fifty on on Amen. I, I don't really know how to get a feel on him. I I know that another year for Amen could be really beneficial for for both parties. Um, I would like to see Amen come back. Um, I, we know that Dylan is gone. We know that Tylen is gone. Um, Marshall. Another one is another one is leaving is Cam Murray. Yep, Cam Murray. Yep. But but I will say, and, that, and that's and Cam Murray has done a lot. But I will say with a name that was supposed to be being known this year, that unfortunately tore his ACL is yeah. Colin Clay, who transferred in from uh, Arkansas. I think you will see him take over that spot. I don't want to say fairly easily because obviously he still has to worry about the knee and then just still producing. But I think that that is a position that they have guys they feel comfortable with in in clogging up the middle and replacing the production of Cameron Murray. So, well, yes, Cameron Murray has a lot of experience and a lot of years under his belt. I think Colin Clay will will fill up that gap nicely. And you have guys like Aiden Kelly coming in who's an All-American. and Well, and you look at, I think that's a testament. The defensive line is a testament. You look at, you know, you, you just you look at what Joe Bob Clements has been able to do and Greg Richmond. I mean, the, the defensive ends and the defensive linemen that Oklahoma State churns out, you're losing Cam Murray, but you've got Israel Antoine. You know, you're, yes. you've, you're, you're going to have Colin Clay. You're bringing in an Aiden Kelly. You're losing a, call, you're losing a Calvin Bundage. But you've got to trace Ford, and trace Ford. Hopefully, can hopefully he can heal pretty quick, and he can be back um, by the time fall camp rolls around. But trace trace Ford is going to be one of the best edge rushers in the country, and we yeah. saw glimpses of that the past two years. But my goodness, I mean the the replacements that Oklahoma State gets, and we saw we saw um, Walter Scheid. We we saw him get in there a little bit. Um, Cody, I keep I kept wanting to say Cole, but that's his older brother. We saw, and and that's what's that's what's exciting about about Cody Walterscheid is him coming in was described as he is where his brother was when his brother was a junior in college. 
yeah. physically. So Cody Walterscheid, I think, is going to have a really good chance. Um, uh, we know that uh, Christian Holmes is coming back. That's that's going to be good. Uh, they need Christian Holmes, and <laughs> Christian Holmes needs another year. I know that yeah. I know that he's he's about the end of his collegiate career, but uh, Christian got burnt uh, probably more times than he would have cared to uh, this past yeah. year. But he's he'll he'll really help. You get him another year in this system, another year with Rob Glass, and I think Christian's going to have a pretty decent year next year. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think 21 is going to be good. I'm certainly not going into it with the same expectations I had with this last year because damn, this this team, man, they at the very least should have won the Big 12 title. Um uh, but yes. I, I I thought that this team and with, with all the talent be, Oh, go ahead. It's going to be interesting to see what obviously happens over the offseason and next year, but I have a friend of mine that said the most Oklahoma State thing would be that everyone thought 2020 was going to be the year yeah. and then it happens in 2021. Yeah, because you look at the the offensive talent that returned and we and and you put that with the the expectations of what the offense could have done with the what the defense did this year, they're not losing much off the defense. And if Jim Knowles sticks around, I fully expect them to pick up where they left off. And with the offense, if you don't deal with offensive line injury, and if Spencer, oh my gosh, it's just so frustrating. If he can figure it out, yes. then twenty one should, uh, should it has the potential uh, has the potential to be really, uh, really good. I'm not I'm not predicting anything massive. But they got the they got the chance to be pretty damn good next year. And and let's go into that question that we got earlier about what the off season looks like. Do you have that question pulled up? Uh, do it's right here. Yeah. So, uh, what will the coaches uh, and or Spencer be looking to do differently this off season to put him in a better position to succeed next year? Um, I don't know if there is anything different, to be honest with you. I, I know, you you know, Marshall, you and I talked about it um, a little bit before we started recording, and, and you think you've got an answer for it. I don't know if there is anything other than mental. Like, because looking at what – and I, I, caught, I catch some grief sometimes from Tom Dorado because he's like, you hyped him up. You hyped him up, and now look what he's doing. Look at what Spencer did in high school. The logical choice – the logical, log logical choice thing to do – is to hype them up because guys that are that good in high school typically make the transition. Now it takes 15, 16, 17 games to do so. Which is exactly what we were talking about the other day. Yeah. And he's and there. He's, he's at that point. The bowl game was and like, we talked about this the other day. Like I said, Gundy has said that it takes 15 to 17 games mm -hmm. for a quarterback to really understand what's happening and to get it clicking, no matter how talented they are. Now, sure. Your Trevor Lawrence's may do a little bit different, but that's nine. Those are freaks of nature. Ninety-nine point nine percent of quarterbacks takes a little while, yeah. and the bowl game looked like it was one of his best games ever, wearing orange and black. Yeah. And do you remember what number game this was of his career? I believe starts? it was it sixteen, seventeen, number seventeen. Yeah. So exactly on the mark that Gundy said that quarterbacks start to figure it out now. Will it stay that way? I don't yeah, know. I'm not sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that the spring and the fall, spring, summer, and fall are going to be interesting with Shane and Spencer kind of battling. I don't know if they're going to open it up for a complete battle. I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see how one Spencer treats it because he looks like he figured something yeah, out in the bowl. I games. hope so. I do too. And then it, it'll also everyone knows that Shane is kind of also regarded as a gunslinger type of guy. Yeah, and so. you look at you look at Spencer and 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 what's what was frustrating about it is, you know, he his redshirt freshman year, he spent the, he started off really bad. Right? It was yeah. big big 12 play was horrible. But he yeah. he progressed, he got better and you saw some of those mistakes start to go away. And then he comes out against Tulsa and he gets injured and now it's like, "Oh my gosh, this really sucks." And then Shane Illingworth comes in and and he was real he was good for what he was at the time. It wasn't like he put up gaudy, eye-popping numbers where there's no way you can bring Spencer back in, but it gave you a lot of hope thinking, okay, well, this kid, man, he has, he's got it. If he can continue to progress, man, this is the future of the, the position, and that's really excited. And then Spencer came back and was still making some of those, some of those mistakes, and, and it's, it's time in the pocket. 
He's spending five to eight seconds in the pocket trying to figure it out, and he's 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 not going through his reads. He's not going through his progressions, and it, and it was so frustrating because this year had had the potential to be really special. But for me, it's not physical with Spencer. I, I don't know if there's anything physically different that these coaches can do or that Spencer can do because he has the talent. He has the athleticism, and at times he showed that he was really good, you know, uh, vis-a-vis the bowl game. You know, I think that that's that's a big point right there. But for me, in the spring, it's it's got to be mental. And and I think you hit on it. The I don't think there's going to be a traditional quarterback battle in the sense of, Shane has a chance of unseating Spencer because I still think as good as Shane is and as good as Shane could be or will be or can be, I think Spencer still gives you the best chance to win going into that first game. However, I do think, and this is kind of me talking out of both sides of my mouth, I do think that Spencer needs to be worried going into the spring because I think that Shane is really, really going to push him. I think what yeah. we the the glimpses we saw of Shane, I think Shane's going to go out there, and I think you give you know another year in the weight room that we saw throughout the fall, you give him another couple months with Rob Glass. I think Shane is going to have one hell of a spring, and I think Shane is going to have one hell of a fall camp. I still think Spencer is the quarterback going into the into the into the the first game next year, but I think Spencer needs to be worried because if he goes out now, I'm not worried about non conference play. I think it's Missouri State, Tulsa, and Boise, but I, I don't know the order. I think it's Missouri. I want to say Missouri. I want to say Missouri State, Boise State, and Tulsa. I think that's the. I think that's the order of the non-conference. But I could. I could be mistaken. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about those. But if Spencer goes in the Big Twelve play and he starts to struggle, and and Shane had a solid spring and a solid fall, I don't know if Spencer. I don't know if Spencer's going to be out there on the field much longer. I think he really needs to be concerned about where his mindset is going into this spring football. Yeah, and, and I and I completely agree. And I think that both of them showed obviously they're different types of playmakers and different types of quarterbacks, but they've both shown that they can make make big plays. Shane more of with his arm, Spencer more of using his legs to open up things with his arm. But I also want to cover a question that I got um, about uh, – we'll get to basketball in just a second. But um, as far as future quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the 2022 class, obviously brought Gunnar Gundy in with 21. Yeah. Um, 22, I will say this about the recruiting quarterbacks. I do not think the guy they will bring in in 22, I do not think they've offered that person yet. No, I don't I know agree. who it will be. I don't know if it will be Carson May out of Oklahoma. I don't know if it will be – I think it needs to be. I, 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 I'm not saying that he's going to be the future of the program, but I, I think that Oklahoma State would be silly not to offer him. That kid is damn good. And, and I do too. And I don't know if it'll be a guy out of Texas like they've gotten before. They could go out west again. Who knows? But I don't think they've offered the person mm-hmm. yet. But we will know in the next couple months of really what their quarterback's options are as far as 22 in the future beyond Spencer and Shane. But like you said, let's go ahead and hit some uh, – some basketball yeah so uh, the first the first one I got uh outside of Cade Nice who would you be most impressed with this season that's from uh, my good boy B Smooth as a uh, BJ I went to went to school with him I really like BJ um but I outside of those two guys I'm gonna have to go and it's a toss-up it's a toss-up between uh MA and uh, and Rondell Walker mm-hmm. because I I I think Bryce Williams Bryce would, for me right now anyway, I think Bryce would be the most obvious choice um, because he's really turned it on. He, you know, we we had heard from Boynton that that Bryce is probably the best basket, best shooter on the team, best player uh, outside of Cade, and and it's starting to show. I, I think I think I think Bryce is going to be pretty solid for the Pokes for the next couple of seasons. But it, for me, it'd be a toss up between Ma and a, and a toss up uh, between Ma and 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 Rondell Walker. I think with what Rondell has done now, basketball lends itself better than any other sport. Uh, baseball would be a close second, but I think I think basketball, college basketball, lends itself better than any other sport for a true freshman to come in and make a massive impact. And yeah. I think that I think Rondell Walker had a promising future in Stillwater. I, I certainly didn't expect it in year one. I, I didn't expect it to come so fast. I mean, you look at him. He's third in, 
He's third on the team in scoring. I mean, he's he's scoring eight point six points a game. He's shooting forty one percent from the field, forty one and a half. You know, I mean that that's insane. He's he's hauling in. Uh, what is it? Two point almost almost two point one rebounds per game for a, a freshman guard. That's insane. And I'm um, ma. He had he suffered a, an upper body muscle strain. Uh, prior to the Texas Tech game and kind of got it re-aggravated there towards the end of the game. We didn't see him in overtime, but M.A., man, he is he is hella athletic. 7.8 points a game. He's pulling in 3.9 rebounds, which I believe is fourth. Yeah, fourth on the team, uh, just ahead of <laughs> another crazy name, I, Avery Anderson, 3.7 rebounds a game, but yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm doubling it up here. I'm going M.A. and I'm, I'm going Rondell Walker because Rondell – Man, he is he has really surprised some people. I I mean I know he was ranked high coming out of high school and, and Boynton obviously knew it, uh knew what they were doing, but damn. Yeah, I mean with in my mind mine would probably be Rondell because his isn't even just based off of talent per se, or and he's certainly not the biggest, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you he is probably the fastest. Yeah, or the most energetic, and that's that's my thing is his effort that he puts out is what wins him battles, whether Absolutely. it's individual battles on a certain a certain play or just across a game or guarding a certain person or doing whatever he's doing. His effort is always unmatched, and you never see him slowing down, and that's a, extremely impressive to watch. I mean, that's how he's always played, but for that to translate to the next level. And for him to make a, as big of an impact with just his effort that yeah. he puts out has been extremely fun to watch. And, I mean, I think that he'll be here for quite a while. I think he'll, he'll be a career guy. Yeah, and I absolutely. I, and I don't think that you will ever really see him change. So I think you're going to get to watch a very, very fun player um, for the next three to four years. And you probably would have said – a couple months ago that we'll probably only watch him really be a starter, be like a big contributor in the final couple years of his career, those, those last two seasons or whatever. And he, he, uh, he thought differently. He said he needs to get going now. Yeah. I, um, I expected, I expected year two to be, be kind of like an Avery Anderson, a part-time yeah. starter. Like Avery started three of his seven games that he's played in so far. I, I, I kind of expected that. Now we haven't seen Rondell start any games. Um, but he's averaging 23 points a minute, uh, which, which I honestly, I honestly think that coming off the bench is kind of his. It's a he's a hell of a spark plug. Well, that's that's kind of like his what he. I don't want to say that's what he prides himself on because I'm sure he wants to be a starter. But he comes in and he's the kind of guy that no matter what the flow of the game is, he comes and he just adds a spark. Yeah. He he just becomes a defensive almost a menace to the other team because they're like. Who, what the hell is wrong with this guy? He's moving so fast, and they're not really – they've kind of fit already into the groove of the game, and they're calm, and then here comes this Energizer bunny flying around trying to steal the ball from him, and it just it just creates movement. Yeah. So I think that's part of his his mentality is come off the bench and just create. Yeah. Now the the last basketball question we've got is Montreal Pena. Uh, so I haven't heard anything official, uh, but at this point we're on January 6th. I I don't I wouldn't I don't think I would expect to see Montreal Pena. You know, uh, we haven't we haven't seen him, we haven't heard from him. Uh no one is really talking about him. Um I and that's really disappointing cuz I was really excited. I was really excited to see what Montreal uh, Montreal Pena could do because from everything we had heard leading into it, he was easily the most athletic player on the team. He was a high flyer. Yeah. Uh, we saw it in the in the couple practices that we got to we got to live stream this this year. Kid was insane, um, but we haven't haven't really heard anything. So I, me personally, I don't I don't think I would expect to see Montreal Pena uh, on the court. So yeah. So and before we wrap it up, I just want to answer two. Yep, last I saw that. Quick questions. Um, Chris Hall said, "Do baseball if it's not too late." Uh, Chris, I know you love baseball, so do I. I will say this about baseball, and obviously you haven't had any media days or any official rosters put out or anything like that, but I will say that last year they had a very, very young team, but they were very, very talented, and they only lost – I say they only lost one person. A couple of them transferred, but it was guys that knew that they weren't going to be able to play because they had 
because it, it was weird because last year I think there was five starters that were seniors and four that were freshmen or it was somewhere around those numbers so it was very very split um but Ben Leeper was your only was your only guy that really left and he went he's now playing for the Cubs mm-hmm. but the pitching staff I am extremely excited about and they will be extremely strong and you have guys like Eric Walker coming in from LSU and you also have um, you would bring up LSU first. Well, I'm just saying. He was like an all SEC kind of guy. The man, the man, He's very good. I, I'm excited to see what he can do. And then you, I'm really excited about the infield as well because they have a lot of really young guys. And mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how they technically have two freshman classes. We'll see that with football next year and everything. But I'm interested to see what will happen there. But hopefully they start putting out some rosters soon. Yeah. Um, so I, I but, b- before we move on to that second question, uh, I had I I've heard from someone that uh, he's close to the baseball program, and he's someone that does not uh, he doesn't sugarcoat things. It's not Tom Dorado, so don't don't think about that. Um, <laughs> it's someone who doesn't BS. You know, he doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat things. He he says it how it is, and he's he's close to the baseball program. And he said, even though this team has some young players, this team has the potential of being one of the best baseball teams we've seen come through Oklahoma State in a really long time and you, yeah, you think, add that to a first year of obrate i think 21 has the potential of being one of the best baseball seasons we've seen from a long time and that's and that's coming a few years after them you know being a couple outs away from going to omaha after you know after losing to texas tech in the super regionals I, and, and this is going to be i'm going to say this um i just thought it in my head but oklahoma is not the goal or Oklahoma Omaha is not the goal it is the expectation this year absolutely it's it's not a it's not a oh we can do this it's like we have we, to we will yeah. do that we, we should do this it's it's a there will be no excuses for it especially in like you said in an obrate opening year with the talent they have coming back and the talent that they brought in Omaha is the expectation for this baseball team absolutely absolutely um, and then we'll hit that second question. Um, who was it? The, that's a go. Uh, that's a go pokes. Okay, State zero eight one four five one eight five. There you go. <laughs> Two minutes ago, uh, just a couple minutes ago, he said some early twenty twenty two commit predictions. So a couple weeks ago we had three. Now we have two, but we did not lose a commitment to Kelvion Beeman. Just reclassified to twenty one, which, which is actually, a huge get, I think. It absolutely. And then our other two commits are linebacker, Stillwater linebacker Gabe Brown and oh. Beggs running back um, CJ Brown. Those those early guys, those early commitments. Ooh. My God. CJ Brown, CJ Brown is a bona fide four star guy, and Gabe Brown, he is going to be a victim of going to Stillwater High School. Absolutely. Because and already being committed to Oklahoma State, because a lot of schools are going to look at him and say, ah, well. He's from Stillwater. He's going to Oklahoma State. Gabe way. Brown is so one of the best linebackers in the country. Yes. I mean, everything about him. Size, speed, instincts. Physicality. IQ, physicality. Yeah, everything about him. But he will be a victim of living a mile and a half away from Boone Pickens Stadium. Mm-hmm. So, which sucks, but you people should know that he is one of the best middle linebackers in the country. Absolutely. But as far as 2022 commit predictions, I saw one the other day that I wrote about. Um, he goes South Lake Carroll. He's a DB. He can play all three spots, nickel, safety, corner. Avion Jones um, has Oklahoma State. He only has four offers, and Oklahoma State and Tennessee are the, are the two biggest. But Oklahoma State is the leader right now, and I expect it to stay that way. And he wants to commit before – he said he wants to commit before his senior season, so I expect that it will be sometime in the, in the uh, summer of 2021. Mm-hmm. So in five, six months or so. Um, and it could be quicker because he said that if he feels comfortable with the staff and the way that the a direction of the program is going, he will make that decision. So I think he's a big one. I think Ish Harris, who can play DB or running back. I like him at running back out of Pottsboro, Texas. Um, he's another one. 1,700 yards running, seven interceptions at DB. Um, he really likes it there at Oklahoma State. Um, who else? Who else? Those are the main two right now that I would say that I expect some some movement there. Deshaun Brown is another one at Choctaw High School, 2022 defensive yeah, he's line. Good. 
Deshaun Brown, yeah, I really, really like him, and he likes Oklahoma State. I think that those are my three right now that I would say are my three safest bets to end up in this class right now. And I would give um, it, I'd give it a few weeks, and uh, you'll, I think you'll be seeing a, a, a premium uh, recruiting podcast come out. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I will say this, I will say this as a as a primer to that. Oklahoma State, year in and year out, has three hot periods of recruiting for a recruiting class. Yeah. They have the January-February period where you could land a guy like I th- an Ish Harris I think or you'll see. Brown. I think you'll see a few, one to two. I think I do too. I think you'll see Ish Harris, Deshaun Brown, one of those guys, or someone we haven't really talked about yet that'll pop in the next four weeks or so. And then you have the June period, which last year on between June 8th and June 10th, we had six players commit. Um, that that early to mid June period is always a big one, and then you have the mid season, mid to late season commitments that are coming uh, that we just got a couple weeks ago. Um, well, and they also typically pick up at you know anywhere between one and three right around spring, right around the spring game. Yeah, and, and that, that's true. They do have they do have some April guys. So the, the you'll get one or two in January, February. You'll get that's one, one to two. Yeah, you'll get one to three in the April period, and you'll normally get a bulk of your commitments. You'll get six to ten guys in June and July. Yeah, um, that'll make up the meat of your of your recruiting class, and I expect that to be pretty much the same. Um, but then again, with visits being a little bit different, who knows? Um, but no, those are the three guys that I think are have the most likely to commit. Most likeliness to commit sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Love it. But it's lasagna night, Levi, uh, uh, Marshall. I almost called you Levi. It's lasagna yeah. night, and I'm excited about right. it. I can smell go, it. Go, go, and, go enjoy your lasagna. It's out of the oven. I'm. We're having lasagna and salad and garlic cheese bread. Boy, it's a good night in the Lancaster household. I'll tell you I what. Think I'm, I think I'm going to go. I don't know if my dad's whooping up out there, but I can smell something. I think it's fettuccine Alfredo. If it's not the gumbo that you owe me, then I don't want to hear about it. That is, <laughs> I will get you that. If you don't bring me gumbo when you come back up here, I'm going to be a little ticked off, Marshall. I will. Uh, We're a year late. Yeah, well, COVID hit. So. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. I'll be I'll be back up there on the uh, covering the state championships, the 15th and the 16th. I'll be back in Stillwater on the 17th. I'll so be knocking on your door. There you go. All right, that's going to do it for the first uh, Pokes Report podcast of 2021. Appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, We should be doing another one uh, sometime next week, so looking forward to it. Till then, we'll talk to you later.